Hello, everyone, and welcome to Multifamily Real Estate Investing, presented by Mara Poling. I'm glad to welcome you to our first episode of Season 2. We're very excited to be back. Had such wonderful feedback from you all from our first season that we have uh, put together a number of great topics for this year. And uh, today we're going to start with value add. My name is Pat Poling. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Mara Poling. Uh, Bill Mara uh, is the Mara in Mara Poling. Bill is my uh, partner. And uh, he and I are very fortunate to have a wonderful team of folks that work with us and uh, help manage all of the great assets that we've put together for our clients. These podcasts are intended to be educational in nature, uh, whether you're a, a client of ours, a prospective client of ours, or simply someone that wants to learn more about uh, commercial multifamily real estate investing. You may own some single family residential properties that you rent. Uh, not every single strategy we use is applicable in that space. Uh, a lot of it is. So we welcome you all as well. Please uh, feel free to visit our website, marapoling.com. That's M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com and go to the Learning Center. And at the Learning Center, you'll find not only links to our podcasts, but you'll also find webinars that you can sign up for. We have a webinar series that syncs up with our podcasts. The webinars provide some additional detail. Most importantly, they provide an opportunity for some Q&A so you can interact with us live. Those sessions are also recorded and those recordings are available again at marapolling.com in the Learning Center. As well as there's some material there you'll be able to download. Podcasts are great, but if you'd like to have some additional information and some handouts and other notes and such, uh, make sure you visit the, uh, the Learning Center. What we wanna to do today is talk a little about value add, a very critical strategy in the multifamily space, an essential part of how we deliver not only secure and stable returns, but how we take full advantage of the opportunities to drive returns in terms of cash flow and equity growth and uh, ultimately IRR. So we're gonna do a little bit of math today. Uh, we do have uh, another podcast scheduled a little later in the season. Uh, and that is, uh, I think it's scheduled for the beginning of, um, pardon me, for the latter part of September. And we do have a webinar set up for it uh, called It's Just Math. Uh, so if you'd like to learn more about the math behind multifamily, uh, please make sure you sign up for uh, that webinar and we'll make sure that you uh, get an invite and get a chance to join us. So we're gonna talk a little bit about some math today uh, as part of our discussion of the returns. We'll also talk about the kinds of assets that we look for to ensure that we do have a value add opportunity. Almost the most important part, uh, if not the most important part of a value add strategy is understanding the market. Uh, we'll spend a few minutes on that. We'll talk about how to develop a plan for executing value add and then what to do when that plan goes awry uh, because that happens every single time and you've got to be able to manage those variables. So with that, let's dive in and start talking about returns. Uh, if you saw some of the promo material for this, uh, you may have seen the tagline that uh, value add, the proven strategy to generate uh, greater than 25% cash on cash returns and a 50% or better IRR. 
uh, in a secure, stable, tax-advantaged environment. Uh, that is absolutely true. We're going to talk a little bit about the math now of how we uh, how we do that. Uh, so let's let's dive in. First, let's start with the asset itself. Uh, we've got an asset that we're going to purchase. When we buy it, we often talk about we're buying an asset. We're buying a piece of land uh, and a building. Uh, we may talk about the number of units in the property. Uh, we may talk about the purchase price, say it's a $10 million building. We're actually not buying any of those things. We're not buying a $10 million building. We're not buying an asset. We're buying a business. We're buying a business that generates operating income, uh, net operating income, NOI, if you're not familiar with that term. That's what we're really buying. And in the example we're going to use today, we're going to buy a property that has $600,000 of net operating income. So we've gone, we've performed our due diligence, we've looked at the existing financials, uh, maybe we've normalized for some uh, underspending, maybe the prior owner hadn't uh, been investing correctly, or possibly for some overspending for them, maybe having some personal expenses on the books that uh, that weren't uh, appropriate to, uh, to use in the calculation of NOI. So when we do all that, uh, we come up with $600,000. So how does that translate into what we would pay for the building? And that's this magical term called, called cap rate. Uh, many of you are going to be very familiar with cap rate. Uh, and this little detour, I'm going to take maybe something that uh, is simply repetitive for you. Uh, a lot of folks aren't familiar with cap rate. It's a relatively simple uh, thought process. So you invest $1,000. And when you invest $1,000, you get $60 in return. $60 is 6% of $1,000. So you're getting a 6% return. That's before any leverage or anything else you might use. That's simply the basic return that you're getting. If you turn that equation around the other way and you said, I want to go buy $60 of income, how much do I need to invest to get that? In that scenario we just described, you would need to invest $1,000. You'd take 60 and you would divide it by the 6% return, and that would give you $1,000. That 6% return, that's cap rate. So in our example, we're purchasing $600,000 of net operating income. You divide $600,000 by 6%, and it becomes $10 million. If the cap rate were higher or lower, we'd have a different number. And we have a whole session, as we said, where we go through math and get into cap rate a little bit more. For our purposes today, we're simply gonna stick with this 6% example. It's actually pretty uh, similar to the cap rates we're experiencing in the markets that we're in. Uh, our model works uh, well in the sixes. We tend not to pay sixes. We tend to be able to purchase uh, at uh, better pricing than that. Uh, it can work down into the fives. Uh, it certainly performs well at higher cap rates. But we're going to use 6% for today. So we take a property that is a $10 million uh, property. That's how much we paid for it. And we're going to make an investment. Let's say that for each individual unit, and that's the way we would think about it, we're going to invest $8,000. And here's what we're going to do with that $8,000. We're going to make improvements to uh, the flooring and some paint. We're going to uh, put a new kitchen in. Uh, probably not change out the cabinets, but we'll maybe reface the cabinets, uh, some new or updated countertops, uh, new appliances, updated uh, water fixtures, uh, plumbing, those sorts of things, uh, an LED lighting package and the like. And we're going to invest $8,000 when we do that. 
when we invest that $8,000, we're going to be able to move the rents something in the neighborhood of $200. That's the example we're using today. And when we get to the market section here in a minute, we'll talk about where that $200 came from. So we raised the rents by $200 uh, on those improved units, the luxury units as we might refer to them. That $200 is $2,400 a year. There are some incremental expenses that go along with that uh, investment uh, with that $2,400. Uh, our property management fee will go up a little bit. Our relationship with our third-party contractor that does our on-site property management for us uh, is a function of uh, revenue. So there'll be some additional expenses there. And at the same time, we'll actually be saving some money on expenses because when we turn units, meaning when a tenant moves out and we're making that unit ready for the next tenant, we won't have quite as much to do because we're dealing with new appliances uh, the flooring we're installing is more resilient and so on. So we're not going to get into the expense issue, uh, but there certainly is some impact from that standpoint. For today's example, we're just going to keep it at the $2,400 a year. So $2,400 a year, if we take that number, what is that 6% of, right? So back to our $60 is 6% of $1,000. Uh, we take the $2,400 a year and divide it by 6% and we get $40,000. So that means that the value of that asset has increased by $40,000 because if we do this in every single unit, we'll have added that much incremental NOI to the asset such that we've added $40,000 for each of these individual units. So we made $40,000. Well, no, we didn't. And the reason why we didn't is Remember, we spent $8,000 to do that. So we take the 40,000, we've got to subtract the eight because we have to pay that uh, back. So what we actually made was $32,000. $32,000 is four times the 8,000 that we invested. And we'll typically look at maybe a hold period of about five years for an asset like this. It also takes maybe a year or two to do some of this. So we're gonna divide that 400, uh, pardon me, that 400% uh, increase, we're going to divide that by five, gives us an 80%. So we're getting an 80% annual equity growth return on our $8,000 investment. In addition to that, we've made an extra $2,400 in the very first year in cash. There's that much more cash that flows off the property. The next year, it actually grows a little bit because that extra 200 we've got in there it gets increases every year as we go forward. So we run all of that out. By the time we get all the way out to the very end of the model, and again, using this 6% number that we've talked about, we end up with better than 30% cash on cash return in this particular example. And this 80% equity growth that I talked about, with all that calculated in together, we've got an IRR that's north of 50%. It's actually 57%. For those of you that want to get out the slide rules and do the do the math that goes along with that. So we've got a chance to have great returns. What we don't want to do is confuse those returns with our net returns for the entire asset. Obviously, we aren't making 31% cash or 57% IRRs on our entire investment in the property. When we purchase this $10 million asset, we're getting some base return that goes along with it this incremental return on these incremental investments helps boost that overall return. And that's what will get you into the 
seven, eight, nine, 10% cash range or the 15, 18, 20% uh, total return kind of numbers. Uh, so that's a little bit of the math of how it works. So the returns are uh, significant. Uh, there's absolutely a security and a stability portion of that because you're doing this with the right kind of asset. And that's what we want to talk about next. So what kind of asset would you want to do this in? It may seem as though what you want to look for is an asset that is worn out, that is tired, that really needs some improvements and that I can buy on the cheap. So if the market is a six cap, uh, I want to find something that's so tired that I can buy it for a seven cap or an eight cap or a 10. Um, it's going to need all sorts of really big improvements. That is not the asset we want to buy for this strategy. Because when I go and make those improvements, let's say there's foundation issues. I make those foundation improvements. You have to make those foundation improvements. I don't get any return for that. No one's going to pay higher rent because the foundation is stable. Tenants actually expect their foundations to be stable regardless of what the rent is that they pay. And that's an appropriate expectation on their part. The only way you actually make money on those kinds of assets is to buy them for a lower price, i.e. a higher cap rate. So we're not looking for that. What we think really makes sense for value add is you wanna purchase an asset that's a performing asset, an asset that's in good shape, that's been well-maintained. There may be a few issues, maybe there's some roofing that needs to be repaired or replaced. Uh, and that can be, again, negotiated into the purchase price up front. What we're really looking for is an opportunity to make improvements that improve the tenant experience. Uh, so not necessarily amenities like a workout center or a swimming pool that will improve the tenant's experience. Our, our experience is tenants don't pay more for that. The types of things we're talking about is uh, washer dryer hookups in the units. That's probably the number one uh, tenant amenity that tenants experience that tenants will in fact pay rent for. Uh, courtyards, right? A private fenced area that they can use. Uh, the improvements I mentioned earlier, improved flooring, painting, kitchen, lighting, uh, especially for tenants that are in units where they have the responsibility themselves for utilities, putting in energy efficient appliances, uh, low flow uh, plumbing fixtures, uh, LED lighting, all of those features not only update the unit, but they lower the tenant's cost uh, on the utility side. So we wanna look for the right kind of asset from that standpoint. Another component of the right kind of asset is finding the right asset that's in a sub-market where we are not pioneers. Here's what I mean by we are not pioneers. If we move into a sub-market and are looking at an asset and there are a dozen other assets within the sphere that we're looking at within that sub-market uh, within a maybe three to five mile range, and all of those assets look exactly like our asset. None of them have improved flooring or LED lighting packages or washer dryer hookups or any of the things we just described. We don't wanna be pioneers. We don't wanna go out and be the first ones to put those in. That doesn't mean that it's not a good strategy that you couldn't implement that uh, value add program and achieve the kinds of returns we want. Again, we're looking for stability and security we just don't want to be the first ones to do it. There's risk associated with doing that. What we want to do is we want to find a market where a couple of properties have already done this, have already made these improvements, so we can go benchmark against what they've experienced in terms of 
uh, rents and occupancy and the type of improvement they did so that we improve to market. We don't want to over-improve a unit. We don't need to put granite countertops in if we're in a market where improved units simply have resurfaced countertops. Conversely, if we're in a submarket where the improved units do have granite, then we may need to factor that into our calculations. And maybe that makes our model work, maybe it doesn't, but we're at least aiming for the right target. This whole focus on the market is a very critical component to value add. It helps us understand what kind of improvement we need to make so we aren't over improving these units. One of the things to keep in mind is we're not improving a unit to a level that we might wanna live in it or that would look uh, nice for us to show off to an investor group or fancy to put in a you know, architectural digest uh, spread or something like that. That's not what we're going for here. We want to improve the unit so it's a better tenant experience and it's appropriate within the market that we're in. So we look at those factors. The other factor that we look at, and this is really the critical piece, is we want to see what the other rents are that those properties that have made improvements are seeing and what kind of occupancy and vacancy goes with that. Some of that we get from the databases we have access to. Uh, some of that we get simply by walking in and talking to uh, those uh, uh, property managers. So in the example we talked about where we're going to move rents $200, we may, in fact, when we go and look, we may see a $250 rent differential between what our rent currently is and what these improved properties are receiving in terms of the submarket. There is some normalization you need to do for the size of the unit. Uh, larger units will rent for less per square foot than smaller units. Uh, the primary reason for that is uh, unless it's a significant difference in size, a tenant won't pay more rent to have a unit that is 860 square feet as opposed to 830 square feet. There's, that 30 square feet simply is not perceptible. Now, if it's 830 square feet versus 1,000 square feet, well, you're talking about an extra room and that certainly would be perceptible and probably reflected in the rent. So there's some adjustments that need to be made as you look at those particular factors. You wanna be able to identify what that rent differential is and what level of occupancy or vacancy is going along with it. If those are the rents they're getting and on those improved units, they're running with a high degree of vacancy then that rent is pretty soft and we'd, we'd want to really back off of that number. Uh, so instead of 250, we might underwrite at 125. If the vacancy numbers are really solid there, if it's consistent with the rest of the asset and the rest of the submarket, then we might underwrite at $200. We don't think it makes sense to underwrite at 250 because there's a 50% chance you could be high and a 50% chance you could be low we'd rather nudge towards the 80-20 side of the equation with a 20% downside and an 80% upside. And so we'd underwrite at 150 or 175, or as the example I just gave, 200. Underwriting does not mean that's the direction or the strategy we use when we launch. When we launch these value-add units, we're going to try and see if we can move towards the $250 market differential that we originally identified. 
And the way we would start is we might start with a $150 bump or something like that. And these aren't on renewals, obviously. This is the tenants moved out and we've made these improvements. This is a new tenant that's that's coming into the asset that's going to have this experience. So that's the kind of investment that we make. We want to make sure that it fits with inside what the market is going on. Now we need a plan for how we're going to do it. And the reason I say that is you, you can't just snap your fingers and do this. This is not the typical turn. Typical turn, tenant gives you notice. At the end of the month, they move out. Our crew goes in and what do we do? We uh, do uh, some cleaning. Uh, we get the floors uh, cleaned up. If there's some uh, replacements that need to be done, let's say that we've got carpet and it's gone through a couple of turns and it needs to be replaced, we get a crew in and change out the carpet. Uh, we fix any maintenance issues that maybe the tenant hadn't reported previously. If there's any damage, we repair that. And we get that done within a very short period of time days. If we're making an improvement, if we're going to be doing this value add program, we need more time. Uh, so one, we've got to see that uh, expiration coming and that non-renewal coming so the unit gets into the cycle. And the kinds of improvements we're talking about require substantial materials. What's the cycle time on getting new appliances, on getting subcontractors lined up, whether it's for flooring or painting or uh, countertops or what have you. Uh, cabinets, are we refacing cabinets, replacing doors and drawers and so on? What's what's the lead time to need to be able to order those items? And while you can order some of that in bulk, for example, uh, uh, toilets and water fixtures and lighting packages, those are going to be pretty uh, similar unit to unit. Uh, cabinets may not be. Uh, cabinets may be very unique to each style. Uh, the one bedroom, one bath may not have uh, the same number or, or the same size cabinets as what maybe a two bedroom or a three bedroom unit might have. Uh, so you can't simply store those ahead of time. Have a plan and then being able to execute that plan, that's the, the portion that we talked about in terms of being challenged. Uh, we know we've got a good plan. We go out and we put that plan in place. And one of the biggest issues that will arise is the plan will not be successful. I guarantee you that right now. Uh, whatever you decide to do in terms of value add, there will be challenges along the way. Uh, there'll be materials that'll get delayed. Uh, there'll be materials that'll show up that are the wrong materials, they're the wrong color, uh, the wrong quantity, uh, the wrong, uh, you know, the wrong kind of fixture, whatever it might happen to be. Subcontractors will miss deadlines uh, because that subcontractor's late, the next subcontractor gets pushed out and so on. And so what went from a 10-day a schedule or a 14-day schedule to get that done turns into uh, 21 days or into an entire month. Well, now you've added an, a half month of vacancy onto the cost of making that improvement. So now it's not an $8,000 improvement. Now it's $8,200 or $8,300 or $8,500 in improvement because you've got this incremental cost that goes with it. So you've got to be able to manage these variables and stay on top of them. A certain amount of that's going to happen, should be built into the, into the budget, uh, but we want to do our best to be able to manage those. And the way to do that is to be, have someone that's very focused on it, uh, that is keeping track of these issues and that as each unit is completed, there's a post-mortem done on how that process go. What did we do that worked and what didn't work and what do we need to change about our strategy as we go forward? 
we like the notion of doing these improvements methodically over likely the course of a couple of years, uh, maybe two years uh, at an asset. Again, if you're doing, if you're looking at doing something, maybe you own a fourplex and you're thinking about doing this, uh, this may be something that you might be able to do within uh, a year, simply as each tenant's renewal comes up. If they don't renew, you simply go in and do each one of the units and you've got all of them done within a short period of time. Uh, we're dealing with properties that are in the neighborhood of 100 to 300 or 400 units. Uh, for properties like that, it's a little easier for us to forecast that we will have uh, 5, 8, 10, 15 units every month that we can do and we can build a team uh, to be able to, um, to do that. Can you make 25% cash on cash and a 50% IRR? You absolutely can. Value add is the strategy that makes the most sense to be able to uh, go and do that. Executed the way we just described. So you start with the right asset, doing it in a market that it not only makes sense to do this in where you're not the pioneer, uh, and doing so within the confines of what the market says to do the right kind of improvement, uh, the right expectations around rent growth, developing a plan that takes all of these variables into account, and then managing and executing the plan and being prepared for the fact that the plan will not work exactly as laid out. If you do that, you can absolutely see these kinds of returns uh, and enjoy the benefits of all of that. And you're gonna really have great tenants. Tenants are gonna love those kinds of improvements. We get great feedback from the, uh, the tenants that uh, experience those at, uh, at our properties. We're very happy to have them and, and have them enjoy that. And obviously we're very happy for our investors to be able to experience that as well. I'd love to have you uh, visit the website again, marapolling.com to uh, sign up for the webinar uh, for this session so that you can get some additional material, be part of the dialogue that we'll have uh, during that session. Uh, make sure that you uh, subscribe. Not sure if you're listening to us on uh, iTunes or Alexa or uh, Stitcher or uh, uh, Google Play or which uh, vehicle you've used to, uh, to find us today. Uh, please subscribe so that you can uh, enjoy the future podcasts we have. Uh, again, this is our inaugural uh, episode for season two. Uh, uh, we have a wonderful session coming up uh, following this. Uh, next week's session is going to be on financials and reporting. Uh, we'll get a little bit into more of the math. We're really going to talk about what you should be looking at in financials and how to do some of the basic analysis that will help you understand if you've invested with a third-party asset manager, someone like us, how to understand what they're doing with your money and whether it makes sense or not. Uh, we've got a wonderful session on uh, following uh, the Buffett rule, uh, number, rule number one, don't lose money, uh, and then the very famous rule number two. Uh, a wonderful session on uh, the taxes uh, that we're all exposed to. Uh, the tax man cometh is our uh, uh, session that we've got on that. We're gonna talk about the economic cycle uh, during this uh, season. Uh, it has been a wonderful uh, growth trend that we've been on for many, many years. Uh, I believe as we sit here today, this is the second longest period of growth we've had uh, since we've been tracking these kinds of uh, uh, data points. The longest cycle, uh, we will eclipse that fairly soon. 
do are we going to grow forever no the economic cycle is the economic cycle so we want to talk about that entire cycle and how you can prepare uh, in terms of these investments in multifamily to ride through those cycles uh, we're going to talk about our strategy of hitting singles we mentioned our session on uh, it's just math another wonderful topic is uh, uh, really answering the question about diversification are you really diversified uh, our favorite, uh, one of the ones I love talking about and that we'll uh, get a chance to touch on later this, uh, this season is supply and demand. Uh, and then we're going to wrap things up at the, uh, at the end of the season uh, about reading the docs, about understanding how you can evaluate using the tools that we all provide, that sponsors provide uh, about the investments that are out there. Thanks for joining us today. Remember, marapolling.com, go visit the Learning Center. Uh, thanks. I hope you enjoyed Value Add, and I look forward to talking to you again next week.